a really unique opportunity to be part of uh, the Fellowships Network um, and just have my life impacted by it. So it's really, really cool for me to be able to stand here and look at you guys uh, and see a church um, that, is, that is still pretty fresh, right? I mean, Fellowship Oshawa is not that old. This is still a body that's coming together that is still growing, um, and we are so thankful for it. So I've been able to be a part of one church plan already, Fellowship Pickering, uh, which has just turned four years old uh, in October of last year, and now we're able to see Fellowship Oshawa growing. And now I have the unique opportunity to go and be a church planner and plant in, in Bowmanville and see a, very, a whole new uh, church and a new body come to life. Uh, so... I am extremely thankful uh, for Fellowship Oshawa as a whole because it gives me some perspective and lets me see some, some really cool things happen. I know I'm not able to be around here very often. I'm not a face you guys see very regularly, but I get to hear the stories uh, of what come from Fellowship Oshawa. I get to meet with Jared every week. Uh, we sit down, and, and I, get to, I get to hear about all the stuff that's going on, you know, some personal, some ministerial, you know, just the, some events going on and stuff, and, and Jared's able to share these things with me. He's got some great beard-growing tips as well. <laughs> I know you guys were thinking it. I knew you were thinking it. You're thinking, is that, is that like on the application when it comes to planning a church, like to, be, to have a beard? Um, it's not, but if I had my way, it would be. So, you know, take that as you will. Anyway, so uh, you guys have been in a series the past couple weeks in Leviticus. Uh, and when Jared called me, I think I, I, told, I told Chris this earlier, when Jared called me a few weeks ago and asked, uh, asked me to come preach, I said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'll, I'll be there. You know, I, I love to preach. I get excited about it. Uh, and then he goes, yeah, yeah, but we're in a series in Leviticus. I was like, oh, you know, I think I got plans that week, actually. Uh, Leviticus is a book that people are very nervous about. It's a book that, that we find now, looking back, as being very weird. You know, it's full of things that we don't really understand. We're like, it's, it, it's full of these really... Um, bloody, very explicit imagery, full of laws and rules that we don't really understand. And so it leaves a lot of questions in people's minds. You know, it's a book where you can close it and you'd be just like, what the heck did I just read, right? Uh, and there's a ton of bad teaching out there on Leviticus. Uh, it is a book that, that can be taken out of context very easily, and people can warp and twist to say all kinds of things that it doesn't actually say. But now we are able to look back at it within context, within the Christological perspective, and see what God actually had intended for that book and those rules and the things that were going on at that time. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And, and I'm really excited about it because I realized some things about Leviticus through this week in preparing for this that I had never, I had no idea about. So th this, this, this message really spoke to me personally uh, first, which, which was really, really cool. Um, so given, given that, we're going to be in chapter 16 today, which is covering a day known as the Day of Atonement, okay? And the Day of Atonement is really the epicenter of the book of Leviticus. It's kind of the, the, the pivotal point uh, everything really comes down to this, this day. So what the Day of Atonement was, was a day where Israel could atone for its sins. What is atonement? What is the definition of atonement? The definition of atonement is a reparation for a wrong or a debt. So it is the, the act of going from being oppos in opposition to, to being in right standing with. That is what atonement it is. It is, it is uh, being in right standing with God now. Uh, where you were previously not, where you were previously in opposition to him. 
Uh, so maybe you're asking why. Why did Israel need to return to right standing with God? Well, here's the thing. Uh, raise your hand if you have ever broken a promise this morning, ever in your life. I think we all have. Israel was a nation that was addicted to breaking promises. Israel was a nation who had made a covenant with God, had made a, a solidified commitment to him, but constantly turned away from it. At every turn, they, they basically broke that promise to him. Uh, Israel had a real problem with false God worship. Uh, they knew the God of the Bible. They knew the God, the one true God, the God who created them, and they had, because they had made that covenant with him, but as soon as God turns around, they go and chase after these false gods of the time and, and of the culture. Uh, for example, when Moses went up, Mount, uh, went up the mountain to receive the, the tablets, where the, the Ten Commandments, if you guys remember that story, the Ten Commandments was written on the tablets. When he went to get those, he returned only to find his people uh, worshiping a golden calf as their God. They had completely forsaken the God who had, who had created them and instead wanted to go and, and chase these false gods. So because of their disobedience, their relationship with God had become strained and, and ultimately it was severed. Because their sin made them impure. And that's the word that the, gobble, that the Bible actually uses to describe it. It uses the word impurity. So sin, not only is just sin is the way we look at it, but it actually makes you impure. It actually makes you unclean, dirty. Um, and here's the thing, is that God, because God is holy, because God is just, because God is pure, he cannot be in the sight or in the presence of impurity. He cannot be around it. It's just, it's, it's, it's oil and water. They don't, they don't mix. God cannot, uh, you cannot come to God with, with impurity. You cannot come to God with anything else but perfection. Because if you were to approach God with impurity, it's like approaching a bonfire after you have been bathed in motor oil. Like you're going to approach him and his holiness is just going to burn you up. And we actually see that happening. Uh, only a few chapters earlier, we actually see uh, the son, uh, two men who are approaching the Spirit of God in his temple uh, outside of the way that they should, and they are set afire. They are, set, they are literally killed by those impurities within them. So what did God do? Well, if we are to accept the fact that there must be some kind of process to fix this issue that has become, so this severed relationship with God— this, this sin issue, this impurity, what has to happen? Well, first of all, God took that relationship away from them. It was, no, it was not a personal relationship uh, with, his, with his people. He no longer had any kind of individual relationship with the people of Israel. Instead, he, he appointed a man to go between them. He appointed one man uh, to be elevated above the rest of the people who could act as an advocate on their behalf, who could act as a go-between, a middleman between the Israelites and God. And that man was Aaron. He was the, what we call the high priest. So he was the only guy who had access to, to, to God himself at the time. And, and he was a man that was lifted above the rest of the people who was an Israelite himself and was the only one who was able to have access to God. Uh, and so what would happen was on the Day of Atonement, Aaron was allowed to have some, some kind of communion with God. So they, he would go and he would approach what was called the Tent of Meeting. The Tent of Meeting was a, was a tent. It was sort of the precursor to the temple. If you guys remember, you know, what the temple was, and, and it was kind of like where God's spirit dwelt. 
So the tent of meeting was essentially for that time was, was the temple, and it was what housed the Ark of the Covenant. So for any of us in the room who have seen Indiana Jones, we know what the Ark of the Covenant is. It's, it's, the, it's the box where that, that held the, the, the tablets that we talked about that Moses had that had the Ten Commandments written on them. Um, I guess some people are probably too young to remember Indiana Jones, aren't they? <laughs> but go back and watch it. You'll, 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 get, uh, you'll get some of the, the story there. Um, and this was kept behind a large veil within the, the, the tent of meeting. And it is what sep- that veil was what separated where the Spirit of God dwelt from the people and the rest of Israel. It was kind of like its own uh, incubator. So the world is impure. If you can just imagine this picture, the world is impure around it, but there was this one kind of pure place where these, the, the Spirit of God was allowed to dwell because it had been, because it had been kept sort of away and no one was ever able to, to enter it except for the high priest at this one moment in time, in this one uh, day throughout the year, which was the Day of Atonement. Uh, so remember, if we can't approach God with impurity, then His holiness is going to overtake us if we were to try to, right? So just as we mentioned the two men who were actually Aaron's sons uh, who approached the Spirit of God before when they weren't allowed to, and, and, they were, and they were killed for it. And immediately after they died, you know what God said? He says, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. And that just shows us that how serious God really takes this impurity that we're talking about. How seriously he really takes sin, right? He will not accept sin in his presence because sin literally leaves a debt. Remember the definition of atonement. It is the writing of a debt. It is the paying of a debt. Sin literally leaves a debt, a physical debt to be paid uh, in our lives and in the Israelites' lives. And that is what makes this piece of scripture scripture necessary in the first place. So for the process of atonement, God first prescribes that Aaron when he approaches the tent of meeting, has to purify himself. And it starts off with uh, Leviticus 16, verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are also holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So once he is physically purified, he then has to atone for the sins of himself and in his house. With verse 6 saying, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. So Aaron has to be cleaned himself because he is a man, he is impure, he, he's just like everybody else essentially uh, as, as human. So he has to atone for the, the sins of himself and, and those in his household. So once he has been found pure, he can take the two goats that he brought with him that the scripture uh, mentions and he has to cast lots, what's called casting lots for them, which is like, like dice. So he's basically got to roll dice 
uh, to determine the fate of these goats. And verse 9 says, And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel, and Azazel being the wilderness outside of the camp, uh, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, and that it will be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So once these lots, lots are cast, Aaron has to proceed to kill the sacrificial goat. So remember, the one goat is, uh, is, is, is killed, it's, it's, a sacrifice, it's a sacrificial offering, and then one has to be an atonement offering where they, where they, they cast it out into the wilderness. So once they have done that, Aaron has to kill the goat and he has to sprinkle his blood in various places around the tent to purify the tent itself because it's been made unclean by its mere proximity to sin. Even in dwelling in the world, it's become unclean. So he has to clean it. And then this is where it gets interesting though. Is if you weren't on the edge of your seat already, Aaron has to take the live goat, the one that is not the sacrifice offering, the one that is going to be cast out into the wilderness, and he has to confess all of the sins of the nation over it. So he's literally got to like place his hands on its head and confess everything for the nation of Israel. Quite, that's, quite the job. <laughs> that's quite the job, right? So verse 20 says, When he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all of their transgressions, all of their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all of the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free into the wilderness. So this goat literally gets all the, all the physical sin of the nation of Israel, of all these people through that year, and it gets placed onto him. It's, it's literally put onto his head in a, in a physical fashion. And then it gets cast away, it gets cast out, away from the people, away from its home, completely separated. And remember, when we started, we said that Leviticus was a book that caused a lot of confusion. Are you confused yet? Perfect. Just where I want you to be. <laughs> so, why'd the goat have to die? What's the point of sacrifice? Why'd the other goat have to get kicked out? Those are all very valid questions and questions I asked as well. But here's the deal. Remember the definition of atonement. It's the settling of a debt. So, the people in Israel had a debt to pay because of sin. The same sin that they had is the same sin that we have. The same sin that dwells within them dwells within us. So if, if we suppose that sin causes an actual physical debt that needs to be paid, then it is not something that we can just brush off. It's not something that can just go away. I think a lot of us in this room probably are familiar with debt kind of stays, right? It's got to be paid by somebody, whether it's paid by you or whether it's paid by somebody else. It doesn't just, it doesn't just go away, right? It, it hangs there. It hangs over your head. You know that, that, that feeling of weight when you have a, a debt that's got to be paid and it's, or a bill and it's just weighing on you? Can you imagine the weight of the sin of an entire nation and what that would feel like? The weight of sin between a, a perfect, holy, and righteous God and a people who have turned their back on him? So someone has to own it. Somebody has to carry that debt and somebody has to pay for it. Because God doesn't do things for no reason. He doesn't tell 
you or me or the Israelites to do things just to do them. There is a purpose behind all of these things, whether we fully understand them or not, right? Like Leviticus has some weird stuff in it that we don't understand. Whether we understand it or not, it has purpose, and there is a reason why he's doing it, and that's what we're going to get into. But first, the things like sacrificing goats and kicking them out in the woods and carrying the sin of an entire nation, God is showing the people of Israel the consequences of their disobedience. He is showing it to them. He is literally taking the consequences of sin, the consequences of their disobedience, and he is holding it in front of them and saying, look, this is what happens. This is what your sin does. This is what it is. But he is not making them bear that consequence. Instead, he is only displaying it for them. On, I mean, to the goats' displeasure. So even though this stuff is bloody, it's intense, it's nasty, uh, I mean, I think we, we haven't even talked about some of the, the, the more explicit parts of, of, of what the, the, the cleansing ceremonies uh, entail, but it's nowhere close to what the Israelites actually deserve. It's nowhere close to the destruction that is actually wrought from sin and sinning against a holy, perfect, and righteous God. See, this is actually, even though it's confusing, even though it's, 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 it's intense and, and it's a lot of work, I mean, can you imagine having to take your best goat and kick it out in the woods and then taking your other best goat and having to kill it? Like, it, it's costing these people something to do this every year, and it's probably a real pain and it causes inconvenience, but it's still an extension of grace and mercy from God to them. It's showing his love to them by withholding his wrath from them. See, when it comes to paying the price of sin, it is not a cost that the Israelites or we are ever able to pay. Because the Bible clearly says in Romans verse six, in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And that's the payout. That's the, that's the actual wages. When we want to talk about the debt, that is what that debt needs to be paid with. And it's not a physical death. It's an eternal death. It's a death forever. It's a death that that separates you from God for all eternity. That is a cost that we certainly cannot pay. So who's going to pay it? Who is going to bear that? Well, in this passage, and in this particular point in history, that's, it's the goats, right? It's the goats that are taking that on. You know, sucks for you, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of the goat's job. God shows mercy to his people by allowing these goats to be the one to pay that debt but now, for the animal lovers in the room, I know you're probably thinking, so the Israelites are sinning, but what the goats have to do with it? Why has it got to be the goats? The goats weren't doing nothing. They were just hanging out with their buddies, doing goat stuff, eating grass. What? They're innocent. Exactly. They're innocent. See, a goat, a goat's got no inherent sin of its own. It's just a goat. All an animal can do is what it's programmed to do by, by God himself. It has, no, it has no choice. It has nothing to do on its own. It, it can't do good. It can't do bad. It's just a goat, right? So it is in itself, for what it is, it is innocent. And that is exactly why it is the one that has to be sacrificed. He has no debt to be paid, so therefore he can take on the debt of another. He has the capacity, the space to do that where we do not, a man does not. 
And then the other goat that has to go through the life physically carrying the debt, physically carrying the sin and being cast out and enduring that consequence because it is separated from what? Relationship. It is separated from the relationship from which it was brought from. It is separated from its master. He is no longer with his shepherd. Is it starting to make sense yet? Are you starting to see where I'm going with it? We'll get there. (laughs) It'll become more clear. One is killed, so one dies, and one is banished. And that's what sin does. That's the consequence. Because God cannot be in the presence of sin, those who sin upon them are barred from relationship with Him. Those who carry sin on them cannot have relationship with God unless someone else decides to pay their debt for them. But here's the problem. Although God was extending grace to His people by allowing them to not have to bear the consequences that we've talked about, He is extending grace. It's still an imperfect system, right? I mean, first of all, these people had to do this every single year. Every single year they had to do the same thing. And they only did it once a year. So they're sinning all the time, you know, just as you and I do. We sin, I sin, we sin every day. We, you know, just, it's who we are as people. The Israelites are doing the same thing. And so they're having to carry this stuff for a year before they can ever, you know, give it away and get it off their back. And so it's, it, the, the system itself is, is somewhat uh, imperfect. And what, is, and what is a goat? Sure, it was sufficient enough to sacrifice and atone for a year. It was good enough to do a year's worth. But it has no inherent power or holiness of its own. If God's people were truly going to atone and be brought back into a real right standing with him, there had to be something more. There needs to be more. A goat won't, simply won't do. So there needed to be a sufficient sacrifice made because the goat was an insufficient sacrifice. It's one, it's a sacrifice that has to be made that will atone for the sins of the past, the present, and the future. For all sin. If we are ever going to see atonement and reconciliation between God and his people. And that is where the book of Leviticus starts to make sense. And I got really excited when I kind of Light bulb that one as I was going through here this week. I even underlined it. So even though we see these rituals and these things going on that seem so asinine to us in our flesh, you know, we just don't get it. That is where we begin to see the purpose in them. The only way true atonement is ever going to take place is if one who is truly perfect, holy in all ways, and blameless were to come and take the weight of the entire world's sin. A goat doesn't have that kind of capacity. Sacrifices and burnt offerings, and whether it's a ram, a bull, a goat, a sheep, whatever, these things don't have that ability. You have to have an inherent holiness. You have to have an inherent blameless sense of of righteousness to be able to take that on. You have to be perfect to be able to take that kind of weight on. And the only one who was ever able to have that capacity to do that would be God's only begotten Son. Jesus Christ was the only one in history of the world to ever come close to having that kind of strength 
as to bear that kind of weight upon his back. And that's exactly what he did when he went to the cross. That was the whole point. When Jesus was put up on that cross, he was the goat that had to be killed. He was the sacrifice. He physically bore the weight of our sin on his back when he was put up there so that we might be seen as blameless to God when he looks at us. So that when we approach his spirit, we are not burnt up like Aaron's sons were. So he takes that impurity from us and it does no longer affect us. And we are allowed back into his presence just as Colossians 1.22 says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death the order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach for him. Friends, I am telling you, if that does not grip your heart this morning, it should. His sacrifice was so sufficient that he allowed you to be blameless to the point of being allowed to have an intimate and personal, unlimited relationship with the creator of the universe with a holy, perfect, and righteous God. That's unprecedented. Don't, don't, make, don't make a mistake about it. That's unprecedented through all of history. It's something that we can so easily take for granted because it's just the way, it's, it's where we live, it's who we are. You know, we're used to having this kind of access, but no one else in history had that. Since the Garden of Eden, nobody was allowed to have that kind of relationship with God. The only one that was even allowed to come near that was the high priest, was Aaron, was a man who was far better than any of these Israelites, but he didn't even have that kind of, that, that, that kind of, of, of power. I mean, even in the verse we, we read earlier, it said, don't pass the veil or else you'll die. And that was Aaron. But do you know how the, and Aaron was the high priest, right? And do you know how the followers of Christ are described in the New Testament after Jesus came? In 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Folks, there is no more high priest. We no longer have a need for a high priest. We don't need Aaron. We don't need the Pope. We don't need anybody. All we need is Jesus Christ to be the go-between between us and God. He is the only one we need. Folks, you, you are the royal priesthood. You are the high priests. The believers, the followers of Christ are the high priests. Why? Because you have been given the Holy Spirit of God. You are able to carry the Spirit of God Himself upon you. So that he can advocate on your behalf. Not a man, but God himself advocates for you. Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is the only advocate that we need. Remember, in Leviticus, God was only accessible through the tent of meeting. And that was it. That was one place. That was one singular point in the whole world. That's the only place you could access him. God dwelt exclusively there. He was behind the veil which signified the separation between him and us. But do you remember what happened immediately after Jesus died? If you, if you know the story of the crucifixion, do you know immediately after Jesus was pronounced dead on that cross, what happened? In Matthew 27, 51, it says, Behold, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and rocks were split. 
when Jesus became that goat, when he became that sacrifice for us, he tore the veil in two, physically tore it in two. We were no longer separate. We were no longer separated from God. His spirit was no longer relegated to the temple. He was no longer confined there because there was now purification on a mass scale. But he still dwells in the temple even now. But it's a different temple. He changed the temple. The temple, the tent of meeting, behind that veil, now is no longer a physical place. It is no longer a place that is, that is in a country that is, can be controlled by man. The temple is now us. The temple is now the hearts of those who follow him. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So friends, the temple is no longer a building. It is the hearts of those who love him. And God's relationship with his people is no longer filtered through one man on behalf of many. But it is individual and it is personal for those who follow him. The atonement is no longer an annual sacrifice. It is no longer an annual event. But it is a consistent event. It is an event that goes on all the time. It is one that can be enacted right there where you sit. It is one that, is, that takes place in your bedroom at night when you're on your knees begging God for help to kick the sin that you're entrenched in. To help become more like Him. That's the atonement now. Not a sacrifice ceremony. Not purification. It's prayer. It's communion with Him. It's simply allowing the Holy Spirit to advocate on your behalf. It was one eternal sacrifice that paid the cost once and for all. But friends, listen to me. If you are in this room this morning and you do not know certain that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then this is still your debt to pay. You will be held accountable to pay the cost of your own sin. And I don't care how rich you are, what you might have, how strong you may be, that is not a price that you can pay. You don't have it. I don't have it. But it's not a debt that needs to remain on you. It's not a debt that you need to carry to the grave. See, if you are willing to place your faith and trust in Him and repent of your sins and profess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you can be grafted into that royal priesthood. All of that debt is gone. All of that sin is paid for. The physical weight that was put on that goat's head, you don't have to bear that. It's not yours. You don't need it. You can walk in freedom. You can walk completely debt-free. But that atonement is limited. It is only limited to those who know Him and who call Him Lord and follow Him with their lives. And all you have to do is give that over to Him. And then you can have unlimited access to the God who made you. You can have all your debt atoned for for free and clear. And I would implore you today, do not leave here until you have done that. I will be here. Others will be here. Others who know Him, other leaders, whomever, will be here to talk to about it. But I, imp 
implore you and I plead with you, do not leave until you know for certain. The answer to that question is, do you know for certain that God has taken that debt away from you? Is that debt still on you or are you walking debt free? So folks, we are supposed to have uh, discussion questions. I know, I know you guys do that uh, on a regular basis. Um, and not having a projector, I, I just felt it appropriate um, that maybe we would just have one. Maybe we just have one discussion question. Um, and that is just around atonement. So I would just, I don't know if this has ever been done before, but I would just like you guys to answer that question for yourself. You don't have to say it to anybody else, but if you feel comfortable, I would just like you guys to discuss and confess to the person beside you or the people around you of, do you know the answer to that question? Do you know if your sin has been atoned for? I know it's a heavy one. I know it's one that might be uncomfortable, and that's okay. You don't have to answer it. But I want that to be a question that we and our hearts at least leave here knowing. Are you debt-free? Or are you still carrying around a debt that's going to come due someday? And that's all. I'm just going to close in prayer, and then we can get to talking about that. But guys, thank you so much for having me today. It's truly an honor um, to be here with you guys. And I pray for you guys all the time. I pray for Fellowship Oshawa so consistently um, because I love this community. And I hope to be back sooner than later. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the opportunity to meet in your name. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come around people who know you. God, if whether we know you or if we don't, Lord Jesus, I thank you that we are able to be in a place where we can be in relationship with you, God, and we can talk about things of you. God, whether we're exploring you and aren't really sure if, if, if you're even real, or God, whether we've been following you for, for years, God, regardless of that fact, I thank you that you have brought us all together here today. Every single person in this room, Lord, God, I thank you for them. I thank you for their lives. God, personally, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. God, I thank you for the book of Leviticus, Lord. God, I ask you for forgiveness that, uh, that, that for not understanding it or, God, thinking maybe it is weird. But, Lord, God, it doesn't matter. Lord, it's your word. It's your purpose. We don't need to know everything, God. But Lord, you have done so much through it, Lord, and, and, and your word is consistent. Your word is all connected. None of it is exclusive. None of it is on its own. It all has to do with the rest of it, Lord God, even though it, it, it's 66 books, Lord Jesus, of, uh, uh, all, all rolled into one. But Lord God, it is one continuous story, and that's your story, Lord God, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for the opportunity to even explore that. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray for, the, for us today. God, for those of us who know you, I pray you would sanctify us this week. God, I pray that you would make us more like you. And God, for those of us who don't know you, God, I pray that, that we would. So, Lord God, we thank you, we love you. Lord God, we praise and we worship you this morning. And it's in your mighty and your holy name we pray. Amen.